0: On another exciting entry of Animation Deliberation, it's time for some catch-up. It's July, and we've had a lot of content come out, so wanted to do a bit of an experimental episode and get us caught up on a few of the series that are coming out, as well as a theatrical release, and some news, as well as your feedback. So stay tuned for all of that right after this. Sing along if you know the words, a oh, one, two, three, it's time for animation deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I am one of your hosts, Jay Scotty St. Clair. And as I kind of mentioned at the top, right before the theme song there, this is going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge episode. It's definitely an experiment. Um, So for this part of the podcast, it's just going to be me. Uh, I am the only one that's had uh, the opportunity to see a lot of the properties that we're talking about. So I I guess I should mention those. I'm going to be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. I've had the opportunity to catch that as well as Futurama, the Hulu revival there. It's, uh, you might hear me say, call it season 11, but as I've been looking up online, I guess technically it's it's season eight. But when you take those uh, movies that were released and broken up into episodes, it's it's season 11. So kind of confusing. It can go back and forth between season eight and season 11. But um, I think I'm going to stick to calling it season 11 because I think that just, uh, from my mind, works a little bit better. I imagine a lot of the people that are going to be like, Going back and binging Futurama, they're going to be like kind of on the same page as me referring to this as, as Season 11 because that's the way it gets broken up on Hulu. And Hulu is now the home of Futurama, so makes sense to me anyway. And then finally, i uh, are going to be talking about Harley Quinn Season 4, Harley Quinn on Max. Its fourth season has debuted and they released three episodes, so – Want to talk about all that stuff and get caught up on this deluge of content, uh, great content for the most part. Uh, You know, I will be uh, critical about some, but I also, uh, you know, want to invite you if you like this format or if you don't like this format, either way, you can let us know. Is this something we should continue to do? You know, we've been doing this show for over two years now. I think we have. Uh, We're encroaching on 200 episodes. I know we've got over 180 episodes. So, you know, uh, want to make this show as enjoyable as possible for you, the listener. We, you know, we do it for us because we like recording and we like having conversations about this content, but definitely want to make sure that we're taking your feedback uh, into consideration and making a show that you want to listen to. So you can always send us some feedback at podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any social medias. Or if you're listening to us on a podcatcher that has a, a, a segment where you can, you know, say, what did you think about this episode? Like, I know Spotify particularly has that capability. Uh, you can drop us a line there. And uh, last little caveat before I get into the nitty-gritty of all these pieces of content I've discussed is just want to provide a reminder that we are still covering My Adventures with Superman. that That's the new uh, animated Superman show that's coming out on uh, Adult Swim as well as Max the next day afterwards, and uh, we decided to break that up into batches of three. It's going to be a 10-episode season, so um, when the next episode, this, this coming week's episode has released, we'll have another three episodes to cover, so that'll uh, give us three episodes as far as the podcast goes to cover the season, and then we'll cover the final episode um as the finale and kind of our thoughts on the season overall so if you've been digging that show i know i've been digging that show it's just not one of those shows that i think uh week to week i have as much to say and i think uh harley quinn's going to kind of be the same i know for harley quinn season three we covered every single episode individually but uh depending on my availability as well as my co-host availability i think it might make more sense to do that in batches of three but that's enough housekeeping let's get into what we actually want to talk about here these animated series. So um, I will, given how much we're covering on this episode, uh, look down into the description. I'll do my best to provide accurate timestamps. So if you want to jump around, if there's stuff you haven't seen, uh, you can kind of skip around in the episode and listen to what pertains to you. So first and foremost, uh, I'm going to be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. That's the new theatrical release And uh, I got the chance to see it kind of early. I was surprised when I was checking my AMC app this weekend uh, to look at showtimes. I was surprised to see a showing for Mutant Mayhem because it's not supposed to come out until later this week, but I got the opportunity to see an early screening. So uh, let's talk about that. So this is kind of your spoiler warning. I don't think I'm going to get into any like super, super crazy spoilers. Not that there really are with this movie, Uh, but consider this your spoiler warning. So uh, let's talk about it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is a 2023 animated superhero film directed by Jeff Rowe. And if you don't know who Jeff Rowe is, his previous directorial effort was The Mitchells vs. the Machine, which is an outstanding animated feature. Definitely recommend that one on Netflix for you. And he also wrote for Gravity Falls and Disenchantment. So um, certainly in my opinion, that is quite a... He's got some credit to his name. He's got some credibility. He's worked on some great series. I really like Gravity Falls. I think that's been a lauded series. And then Disenchantment. I don't think that one's been watched as by, by as many people. But I really enjoyed the, um, the first, I think it's three seasons, maybe four seasons that are out. But uh, looking forward to that show returning on Netflix. But uh, He directed this movie from a screenplay he co-wrote with Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Dan Hernandez, and Benji Semmeet. So I am not as familiar with Dan Hernandez or Benji Summit but certainly Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg have been known in Hollywood for a long time for their partnership like as early as like Superbad one of my <laughs> favorite movies of all time maybe some of the humor hasn't aged super well or isn't considered as appropriate as it was at the time but uh I still really enjoy Bad. That's one of those <laughs> comedies that just really speaks to me in my high school experience. But anyway, back to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the seventh theatrical Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film and a reboot of the series. The film stars the voices of Micah Abbey as Donatello, my personal favorite. I'm a Donatello guy. Shimon Brown Jr. as Michelangelo. Nicholas Cantu as Leonardo. And Brady Noon as Raphael. The supporting ensemble cast includes Hannibal Buress, Rose Byrne, John Cena, Jackie Chan as Splinter, Ice Cube as Superfly, who is the antagonist of the film. Natasia DiMontro, uh, who you may know as Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows, great show. Ayo Edebiri, she's been having a hell of a, a career. She's kind of an up-and-comer right now. I know she appeared on the 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 Hulu show The Bear, but uh she's been she's been doing a lot of stuff here. I saw her in a, a movie called Theater Camp. Uh a couple nights ago as well, and she was definitely a standout in terms of her comedic timing. Giancarlo Esposito, post Malone, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is Mondo Gecko. He's a standout. I'll get into him more about his uh, his performance there later on. And Maya Rudolph. And in the film, after years of being sheltered from the human world, the turtles set out to be accepted as normal teenagers through acts of heroism. The brothers go on a hunt for a mysterious crime syndicate, but trouble arises when an army of mutants is unleashed upon them. All right, so my overall impressions on this film were that I liked it. I was, I was reasonably entertained and pretty satisfied, but I wasn't blown away. I don't know how much this film is going to stick with me. I really haven't thought about it all that much beyond some like fleeting thoughts. And uh, like I said, it's solidly entertaining. I don't have any crazy criticisms. I think it does what it's trying to do fairly well. Uh, But it is, you know, pretty soundly a kid's movie. I think that's kind of the defining feature is that it's really taking these characters of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who, you know, their comic book origins um, from – Uh, Laird and Eastman, like it was a much more mature kind of gritty kind of like spinning off of um, spinning off of like the aesthetic of Frank Miller, who is just coming off of like the Dark Knight Returns, just kind of that dark gritty approach, which is interesting considering these characters are teenagers. But this film aims to really focus in on the fact that they are teenagers and not just any teenagers. They're not like 17 or 18 year olds. Like I think um, they've kind of been portrayed as in my favorite iterations, namely like the '90s animated series, I think they were they were teenagers and they were goofy and you know they had their shenanigans and whatnot. But they were they skewed a little bit older. And this one, they're very clearly very young teenagers. I put them around like 14, 15. Leonardo might be 16, uh, but they're they're definitely on the younger side. And I, I think another thing that really stands out about it is the animation style. I think on first glance. The comparisons to Spider-Verse, I mean, they're right there. They wear it on their sleeves, but it does do enough to make it like its own. Uh, It does have the like, you know, flickering frame rate that Spider-Verse kind of became known for where it gives it almost like a stop motion, kind of like flipping through the pages of a comic book feel. But what I think this one does that makes it really stand out is it really, really taps into like those 2D hand-drawn elements afterwards, like pretty much... Every character in every environment has like these extra brush strokes and pencil lines and kind of gives it this messy, haphazard kind of feel. But it really works in terms of giving this film like a unique identity. Uh, Outside of that, I I think the the voice cast is pretty strong. The one criticism I I really kind of have in terms of the voice cast is I do think Michelangelo uh, was miscast. And it's nothing against the performer, Shimon Brown Jr. He did a great job. Uh I the material he had was what it was. But I, I do think the character of Michelangelo Mikey was um and and maybe this is a criticism about all of the all of the turtles outside of well I, I feel like Donatello was kind of given the strongest characterization. Uh Leonardo has some things going on in terms of him kind of pining after April and and being the oldest and feeling this responsibility. But for the other two it's more like for Raphael and Michelangelo it's more like they tell you about them rather than than show you about them like they talk about uh Raphael having this rage issue and it's a great joke that he's like you have rage issues man and he's like it's it's not a problem like he just wants to fight like he says those things but you don't really feel it it's 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 one of those instances of like okay you're telling me that this is how this character is but you're not really showing me that this is how this character is and i I would say the same for michelangelo like michelangelo has always been the party dude like that's who he is and like i don't blame them for not wanting to do like a surfer voice it makes sense that they wanted to do something different and make it their own but i guess you know he they allude to him being like an improviser and and a jokester but i don't really get that from the vocal delivery like he kind of sounds uh a little subdued. Like he sounds, he's almost like the calmest of the turtles actually, which is uh, just kind of weird and and not my version of Michelangelo, not what I was expecting. Again, nothing against Shimon Brown Jr. I think it was just uh, the way the character was written. And I I do think he was miscast. It's not his fault. He's got a nice voice, but it's just not the voice of Michelangelo for me. But that's just me. Um, Apart from that, I think my... Big kind of criticism of the film is that it it's just largely forgettable, and uh, you know we talk about this stacked supporting cast, and all of the mutants kind of get like lost in the shuffle. Like you've got John Cena as Rocksteady, Seth Rogen as Bebop, and I I can't really remember a single line of dialogue that either of them gave. gave. Like. The only ones that really stand out are Ice Cube is Superfly. He does a great job. He's a, a nice menacing villain and his motivations are understandable and you actually feel for him. And then Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is Mondo Gecko. If you couldn't tell from the trailer, like he, Paul Rudd is just being goofy and doing his thing and Mondo Gecko is a great character with some great comedy. So, uh, At the time of this recording, the movie hasn't even been released wide theatrically, but apparently... It's already guaranteed a sequel, and it's also going to get a series on Paramount+. Plus. So I guess the word of mouth uh, from what I've seen, people are pretty pleased with this one. And, you know, even with my criticisms, I will say I was entertained. This was a solid entry. I would be interested in seeing more from this world. But I do hope they learn from uh, – I, I guess my, my biggest thing is it feels like they kind of played it safe. And I, it is a kid's movie, and it does clock in at like right around 90 minutes so they didn't have a ton of time to explore or go super deep. But I would, ho- I guess my hope for the future would be that now that they've established these characters, maybe as we watch them mature and get a little bit older, uh, we could get a little bit more of that. And actually with that in mind, that is kind of something to, uh, important to point out as well. I, I said I wasn't going to get to like huge spoilers, but one thing in addition to these turtles being so firmly um, set as like younger teenagers – Their ninja origins, like the martial arts aspect, I think this is a completely different take and like an origin story that I personally have never seen before. Uh, I know Splinter has a very storied background, but in this one, it's just kind of like it speaks to like the way we consume content now. They just like learn martial arts just by – from what they see on TVs and movies. And uh, in that regard, they are still very much learning. They are not the experts. They've got some moves. They've got some moves and they've got good teamwork and, and come together, uh, but they're definitely still working out the kinks. So um, I think that's going to wrap up my thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, but that's just my opinion. Uh, let me know what you thought. Did you enjoy it? Did you think it had room to improve or did you just not like it? You know, There's room uh, for healthy discourse here. So I encourage you to write in and let us know what you thought about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Okay. And moving on to our next segment here, I'm going to be talking about Futurama season 11, parenthetically season eight, uh, episode two, children of a lesser bog. And just looking at that title, I had to do some research. I didn't know exactly what that was an allusion to, but, uh, apparently that's a riff on a 1986 film called children of a lesser God, which I have not seen. Uh, but if you have seen that, uh, I'd, I'd be curious to see or to learn whether or not uh, this episode has some themes in common with that or if they were just going for the the pun there. But, um, you know, coming off of the last episode, I, I kind of have similar sentiments here. It's, it, this really still, even though we've had, you know, a good 10 years away from these characters, this really feels like the show Futurama, like – which is it's, it's fitting that it's been canceled and come back so many times, and it's done it again. And just doesn't feel like it's missed a beat. It feels like it's just we never left these characters really, and we're right back in the swing of things. And I like this episode because it focused on um, some characters that are usually rele- relegated to more of like a secondary role: uh, Amy, Amy Wong, and Kiff. And I, so so we pick up, they consummated children together like 20 years ago, but I guess uh, Kif's species, the amphibiosins, they have like a 20-year gestation period where their young exist as like tadpoles in a swamp. But, uh, you know, I think it's true the date. I think when that episode came out was a good 20 years ago. So we're like kind of experiencing this in real time with these, uh, with our characters, which is interesting because even though they're cartoons, the fact that they haven't aged a day... um, outside from Professor Farnsworth, uh, is, is just kind of funny there. But, uh, you know, I, I did think uh, the story was uh, rather run-of-the-mill, not in a necessarily bad way, but it just wasn't um, wasn't too crazy. It didn't throw, throw me for any loops, really. But it's, it's really the story of, you know, Amy and Kiff getting to know these children. They've got three children. One's like a teen. Uh, the middle child's a girl. And then they've got their youngest one that has one eye. And very much resembles Leela. And they, you know, with the show's continuity in mind, even though these episodes do tend to stand alone, there's definitely a through line throughout all these seasons of Futurama. And they go back to that, uh, keeping in mind that it was actually Leela that impregnated Kif because they had the uh, physical touch. All they did was hold hands and that was enough for him to get impregnated, uh, even though his love and attraction was for Amy. So uh, we find out that biologically these children are actually Leela's and you see Amy kind of going through the struggle of uh, motherhood and and learning how to balance and her kind of questioning whether or not she really is these kids' uh, mother and them kind of taking a shine to Leela and the jealousy that comes there. So... uh, yeah, I thought it was a solid episode. Uh, I think one of my favorite things about it was this is the first time since we've done this reboot that we got to spend some time with one of my favorite characters, the biggest buffoon in the galaxy, Zap Brannigan, voiced by Billy West, and just just doing his thing. You know, um, Fry is, is kind of relegated to a background role, which is okay. Zoidberg has his moments. Uh, Bender, as usual, has his moments. But this is really uh, – Amy and kiff and Leela to a lesser degree all their episodes so uh, yeah still really continuing are s- s- still really continuing to enjoy this uh, revival and I'm gonna stick with it so if you're enjoying it let me know send some feedback and let's talk about it all right and with Futurama out of the way looking forward, Toward Harley Quinn season four so we got three episodes that debuted on July 26th and kind of similar to what I said with Futurama even though there hasn't been as much time in between the seasons I actually think this was the shortest amount of time we've had to wait between seasons of Harley Quinn uh, which was pretty nice Uh, this this series has not lost any of its charm it's charging into to season four with some change-ups to the relationship dynamics, but uh, especially by episode three, I was feeling pretty satisfied about getting updates on all of our core players and kind of where they're at and what they're doing. So um, for these, I do have synopses for the three episodes, so let's just run down those real quickly. So season one, the debut of season four, is titled Gotham's Hottest Hotties, and On her first day as the Legion of Doom's new CEO, Ivy struggles to gain her employer's respect, so she approves all of their evil plans to get them to like her. This backfires when Bane blows up an oil rig, causing chemical pollution in the sea, which Ivy originally wanted to prevent. After some encouragement from Nora and a brawl with Snowflame, Ivy stands up to the Legionnaires and hires Nora as her assistant. Meanwhile, a serial killer is targeting Gotham's hottest people, so Harley investigates with the Bat family and eventually realizes Professor Pig committed the murders to create a perfect henchman from the victim's best body parts. Using Nightwing as bait, the Bat family captures Pig, but Harley goes overboard and kills him, much to their horror. Concurrently, King Shark's wife Tabitha is expecting babies while Talia al Ghul decides to travel to Gotham after hearing about Wayne Enterprise's financial problems. And episode two is titled B-I-T-C-H. And in this episode, Ivy attends a networking event for evil businesswomen where she meets Talia, but learns through Harley that she is also a conservator of Wayne Enterprises. Talia gives advice on Ivy's plan about how to legally replace Gotham's male trees with female trees, unknowingly helping her ruin Wayne Pharmaceuticals in the process, which was Ivy's real plan. Despite initial tension, the two develop a mutual respect for each other's intellect and refined views on villainy. Meanwhile, as punishment for breaking the bat family's no-killing rule, Harley is demoted to Alfred's assistant. He teaches her a technique called B-I-T-C-H, breathe, identify the problem, tea break, consider your options, handle it, which she ultimately finds useful in decisive thinking, especially after she witnesses Alfred trying to rob a bank. She stops him in front of the bat family, gaining their respect and earning her own bat outfit while Alfred is arrested. Hoping his schemes will reunite him with Bruce in Blackgate Penitentiary, he is shocked to discover that he is being sent to Arkham instead for rehabilitation. And episode three, Icons Only. Harley and Ivy travel to Las Vegas to spend some quality time together while also planning to watch Clayface's new show, only to learn all the tickets are sold out. Harley realizes her hero reputation makes her a pariah in the villain community, but after seeing that Bruce can be a DJ in prison due to his public identity, she decides to create one for herself as well, named Hargret. She enjoys spending time with Ivy as Hargret until Clayface foils their attempts to steal tickets for his show as revenge for Ivy not keeping in touch with him lately, resulting in a fight between the two, which is interrupted by Tabitha going into labor. After giving birth to nine shark babies, she agrees to co-parent with King Shark, who chooses Harley and Ivy to be the children's godparents. Afterward, Ivy admits she had feared losing common interest with Harley due to their different jobs, while Harley announces that she will be moving in with the Bat family to learn more about her hero self. Though she is saddened to hear this, Ivy fully supports Harley's decision. All right. So, yeah, I I think these uh, three episodes collectively were a really strong start to the season. Uh, You know, coming off of the last season, Bruce Wayne is in jail. They've picked up that. Uh, plot line there and stuck with it. So seeing uh, Alfred <laughs> miss Bruce Wayne to such an extent that he's willing to rob a bank in the hopes of going to uh, to Blackgate and then only to have that foiled was pretty hysterical. Just seeing this different side of Alfred and Alfred getting, really getting a moment to shine uh, with his, his bitch technique was pretty great. I will say uh, this episode isn't like one that throws me for a loop often in terms of plotting I mean it definitely has shock and awe moments for sure but I was expecting um, Harley when she was you know basically turning Alfred into the bat family for his uh, his crime there I thought that was going to be a test where they were like okay you're out of the doghouse now you get to be a hero again and that uh, Alfred was not in fact robbing the bank so to have it actually be the case that he was robbing the bank and had to face the consequences of that. Uh, I got a kick out of that. I thought that was pretty good. I also really liked the inclusion of Talia al Ghul. We've seen uh, you know, some of Bruce's romantic past, especially with Catwoman. And we've had this uh, this Robin Damien poking around for a while now. To, so to get to see his mom and uh, just how much of a, a badass businesswoman she was, uh, was pretty great. And her relationship with Ivy, how they kind of do earn this respect for each other, I thought was uh, pretty compelling in terms of uh, character arc for, for our Ivy there. Because Ivy's definitely got a lot going on with becoming the new CEO, and I think that's a good you know thread there for her. I was a little worried at moments with this season that, okay, now that Harley's becoming a hero is like the focus of the season going to be – can Ivy and Harley's relationship survive this? And that might still be there, but for now it doesn't seem like that's going to be the focus. So I like that while it does cause friction, it's not like the the focal point of the season so far. Uh, in the first episode, it was nice to see Professor Pig. That's kind of a deep cut or maybe less, less of a deep cut nowadays. But uh, I really did like when Harley went all out because – I mentioned the shock and awe moments in this movie or this series rather. uh, But that felt like a call back to like season one where we just saw Harley like brutally take some people out with her bat and and mallet and to have her bash his face into where we never even really got to see what his face looks like under the mask. We just saw his basically disintegrated head after she was done with him was uh, pretty intense. And, loved all the the jokes about Nightwings but how he has you know the best ass in Gotham and in the DC universe and for him to uh admit that he loves his own ass was was pretty great. I I really like um Harvey Guillen uh is the voice of of Nightwing and I think he continues to do a really good job there. Um and then yeah the final episode I think um might story-wise, it might have been the weakest of the three for me, but what kind of redeemed it for me was the fact that we got to spend so much time with Clayface. His presence was definitely missed. I also feel like this episode gave King Shark a little bit more to do. So in uh, that way, it kind of felt like a return to form. Like even though all of our characters are off kind of doing their own thing, especially now that Harley's a hero, it's always nice when we get this core four back together, uh, that being King Shark, Clayface, Harley and Ivy. So I, I think the only episode we saw Mayor Joker pop up in was the first episode. He might have popped up for a second in the second episode because I Oh I know you know he was in the second episode for sure because that was kind of the uh the issue with uh Ivy trying to replace the male trees there. But um yeah, I don't know if I have too much more to say, just um Really appreciate the humor. Really appreciate the action and the animation. Studio Murr uh, is the one that's doing this series. And I think it's a departure from a lot of the other shows that they do. But it's still just really quality animation. It's unique and it does its own thing. And it really fits this uh, tone that it's going for where it's obviously a comedy. Uh, and it's a very raunchy comedy but uh they they make the characters uh very appealing and the action is is very fluid so i like it for all of those reasons and you know if this show continues to be of this quality you can make a harley quinn season five six so on and so forth and i will be on board for it but uh, again i open the the floor up to you all let me know what are you thinking about Harley Quinn season four, episode one through three. Are you cool with us covering these in batches of three, or would you rather us break it down episode by episode, like we did last season, or would you rather just talk about the season as a whole at the end? You know, I'm open to all those suggestions, but I really want to include you in the conversation. So hopefully we get some feedback and can uh, talk about all that. So, um, in terms of my solo efforts, I think that's going to be where I stop here. Um, and uh, look forward to some news and feedback that I address with my co-host, Suhair. Thank you for tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N.
1: Hey, still listening? Bet you didn't expect to hear from me. I'm here to tell you. You gotta stay hydrated, man. I don't know if those 100-degree temperatures have hit your state yet, but it is sure killing me. It is hot. It's end of July. August ain't going to be any better, and the only thing getting me through it is Liquid IV. And you know why? Because one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. The result of an extensive R&D process to perfect the flavor and efficiency, Liquid IV combines science-backed zero-sugar technology with the brand's commitment to delicious, real flavor. There are no artificial sweeteners and zero sugar with a proprietary amino acid allulose blend for a sweet taste without the calories. Try saying all that three times fast. <laughs> or raised glucose lovers. Glucose lovers. Wow. Or raised blood glucose lover levels you get from sugar. This is a tongue twister, guys. It contains eight vitamins and nutrients for your everyday wellness with three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, soy, and now options without sugar. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean water and abundant water is a foundation for a healthier world.
0: And you won't get any whispering from me. I'm going to say it loud and say it proud. They partner with leading organizations to fund and foster innovative solutions that help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in over 50 countries around the world. And you can get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free or any other variant at liquidiv.com and use code STAYWHELMED at checkout. That's S-T-A-Y-W-H-E-L-M-E-D. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code STAYWHELMED at liquidiv.com.
1: We got some news, folks. What do we got on the docket today?
0: (laughs) Yes. few things to talk about. We did have San Diego Comic Con uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, or I guess not a full two weeks ago, but about a week and a half ago. And uh, you know, we had some announcements that came out of that. I think the big thing was Invincible, but if you listen to this podcast regularly, we know you know we have had the opportunity to talk about Invincible because they dropped a surprise episode on Amazon Prime for us as a little bit of a primer before season two that Invincible presents Adam Eve so you can go back on our feed and check out our reactions to that episode as well as the news about season two that we discussed there including the trailer that we got but um, in other news not so happy news, but maybe just news uh, production staff at both Warner Brothers animation and Cartoon Network. Those are some of the uh, heaviest hitters in terms of animated content, if you didn't know. They have both filed to unionize under the Animation Guild after Warner Brothers' recent reorganization that saw a huge round of layoffs. So how does this news hit you, Zuhair?
1: Yeah, it was just freaky timing because it was right after we finished recording last week uh, regarding uh invincible presents adam eve and we were hoping that you know this type of stuff like wouldn't hit animation anytime soon we still have content coming from there and this and that and as we hit the end button like minutes later this broke that this was coming out so it's it's one of those things with how much they're dealing with the writer strikes and how much the actors join in i hope that this is something that they can get ahead of and work on the issues like we it's no secret that animators are overworked and they these corporations don't really have like the ethical you know points especially with animators and uh game developers is just layoff after layoff so they can bring in as much of the money as they can it's not fair it's not right um artists put a lot of work into making this stuff incredible and they should be rewarded for it
0: yeah i guess the optimist in me kind of hopes that this is like just a show of force and kind of like you know mm-hmm. um solidarity like hey Right now you've got both your live action writers and actors striking. If you don't treat us right, you're going to lose us too. And that is not something you want to yeah. do. So your move, holy man. And hopefully it's it's the right move and hopefully it does uh, get them the results that they want and the treatment and the, the compensation that they deserve without them having to strike. If it comes to a strike, it is what it is. I will support the creators over the corporations every single time. But mm-hmm. as, as we mentioned in that episode last week, if we have animators striking, the kind of ripple effect is even longer because animation just takes so much longer to uh, to accomplish and get a mm-hmm. final product on. So uh, a little bit of good with a little bit of bad, but it's, uh, it's still early in terms of this news. We don't know exactly what it means. And uh, again, yeah, the... The idealist in me hopes that this will uh, get them what they're looking for without having to halt any productions on any uh, anything animated that's in the works right now.
1: Yeah. When I went to go see Barbie last night, like all the posters down the hallway and even some of the trailers, like it would just say coming soon. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody say, like, not even going to give us a month. And I was like, it's when the strikes end. like." This is just where we're at right now. We're just kind of twiddling our thumbs and just hope everything works out for the best.
0: It's about all we can do, you know? Yep. Okay. We do have a little bit of happier news here. Um, Still some news that's somewhat shrouded in mystery, which is appropriate, but uh, news for Miyazaki's stateside fans came earlier this afternoon when it was reported that, well, Earlier this afternoon, I think it was July 14th, so uh, a few afternoons ago at this point in time, but we're just now getting to it now. So, uh, But anyway, on July 14th, it was reported that Miyazaki's final film, uh, that's Hayao Miyazaki of Studio Ghibli fame, mind you, uh, will be officially coming to the United States courtesy of distributor G-Kids with a new title, The Boy and the Heron. Per The Hollywood Reporter, G-Kids is apparently sticking with Studio Ghibli's plan and refusing to do any extensive marketing for the film That includes not saying, at least just yet, when the movie might reach theaters or home video. Written and directed by Miyazaki, and what he's said will really truly be his final film. The film was produced by his longtime partner, Toshio Suzuki, and features a score from Joe Hisaishi, who's written music for all but one of Miyazaki's films.
1: I love this. I've been preaching about how much I want to go in just not knowing anything. Um, obviously my bar is still tempered too like I think it's just Miyazaki standard but um, I just I I love the mystery of it Mm -hmm. all I like that not even fans who have seen it on the other side of the water have really said too much Uh, so it's going to be really cool to see and my local AMC finally has that poster back up of how they're doing the Miyazaki films Mm -hmm. Uh, there's like a you know they're going to be airing in like one of the theaters for a couple of weeks so I can finally watch Princess Mononoke for the first time That's the way to
0: do it. I'm jealous that you get to experience it like that. So good. So good. Yeah, what kind of like stuck out to me about this one is like I, I think Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki, his fandoms might be one of the very few fandoms out there that's like it's a household name and like a series of films that pretty much everybody is familiar with on some level but it doesn't have that toxicity around it. And if there are any toxic Mm -hmm. Studio Ghibli or Miyazaki fans, they've just been super quiet or they've been like beat down to where. There's
1: like the one (laughs) protester outside
0: the building with the pictures Yeah, they know there's no place for them. Who cares? (laughs) They know there's no place for them on the internet. So uh, with that in mind, I am actually kind of surprised that the secrecy around the marketing and not having any trailers or promotional materials, especially that it's already released in Japan, my assumption was, okay, once it releases in Japan, surely we'll get some promotional marketing material for the United States. But no, they're not going that route. And uh, you know, you mentioned being able to go see Princess Mononoke in the theater and the Ghibli Fest that they do every year at at least at AMC. I my I couldn't help but kind of like think, how cool would it be just to kind of have like at the conclusion of of the fest, which I think wraps up in November, if I'm not mistaken. If it's like okay we're going to do it for a few more weeks and we're actually rolling out this film the boy in his hair and like i don't want to have to wait till november if i don't have to but it would also be kind of like i would i would appreciate that kind of publicity stunt or marketing stunt for lack of a better term especially knowing that we're not going to have like a trailer or anything like that for this flick
1: it's like you don't even get to see my neighbor Totoro or Princess Mononoke. Okay? Like you just pay for a Ghibli movie and it's just this one that's playing all year. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd be. Pre- I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'd be down for that.
1: No, that'd be that'd be yeah. sweet. All right. Because I think there's, I mean, the fact that they do this fest like every year, there's definitely a loyal enough fan base that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and speaking of loyal fan bases, that was the other point I wanted to make about uh, the lack of toxicity in the fandom is like, even though this has been out in Japan for about two weeks at this point in time like i have not seen a whisper of any spoilers so i think this is just a group of fans that you know has so much respect and appreciation Uh for what they're doing that you're not going to see rampant spoilers out there on the internet so
1: it's like the infinity war of miyazaki films they have to drop the thing it's like keep
0: your mouth shut, don't tell anyone but yeah with that one they had to like actively like ban people and remove their posts and stuff like that. I don't know if that's <laughs> happening with this film, but I suspect not. <laughs> oh, what what, what yeah. a time to be alive. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. And moving on from Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki, we have one of these pieces of news that I'm insanely excited for. Adult Swim has ordered Lazarus, a new animated series from Cowboy Bebop director Shinichiro Watanabe produced by Sola Entertainment and animated by Studio Mappa. There you go. Studio Mappa. Anyway, Lazarus also recruits the contributions of John Wick series director Chad Stahelski, who designed several action sequences for the series, along with the musical talents of saxophonist Kamasi Washington, producer, DJ, and musician Floating Points, and producer, DJ, and musician Bonobo. The trio provide a jazz and electronic score for the project. Have you seen the trailer? I have
1: not yet, Ooh. but um,
0: it looks good. It looks one so thing that good. I want
1: all of the listeners to know, you probably know this by now, is that this is not a Cowboy Bebop. Reading. No, it's not. Every, every freaking news source out there had a pictures from like Cowboy Bebop and said Cowboy Bebop and MAPPA and everyone was getting pissed off thinking that it was getting reanimated or redone or redone or whatever. Please read the whole title. Please read the whole article. The amount of time I had to explain to people that this was not a Cowboy Bebop remake is freaking insane. But no, I have not seen the trailer yet. I need to do that like seconds after we sign off along with the Loki season two trailer. Okay, it's Really. Softened. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, showing that it's MAPPA and the people who are involved with John Wick, like, says enough for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sold and I would like this, like, now. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> uh, now, I'm with you. I have seen the trailer. Uh, I, a lot about this excites me. But the trailer was very cinematic. Uh, didn't give too much away. It was kind of just demonstrating, like, who I assume is our main character. He just kind of looks like he's on the run from some unseen assailants. And he's traversing through a futuristic but dystopian but not like decrepit city it kind of reminded me of mirror's edge if you've ever played that where everything's kind of like very clean looking but very urban and he's doing a lot of parkour and whatnot but the the animation is so fluid the little bit snippets of action that we got look great and the soundtrack is already there i was on um multiverse news a uh, another stranded panda show where we talk about all the all the news and all the the different realms so sometimes animation comes up but i was able to really voice my excitement for this one. And I kind of harped in on the musicians that are being included because cowboy bebop had the seatbelts do the jazz soundtrack for that one. And I'm, I'm really excited for Bonobo on this one because he is an artist that I've been listening to for years and years. Whenever I go to do like art and just need to be like in the zone, I put on any of his albums and it just gets me locked in. It's, he's really good. So I'm excited for him to be included and hopefully become that much more known with people and maybe he'll get even more opportunities to do some scoring and whatnot, because I do think he has a sound that would work really well for a number of like, you know, sci-fi esque stories and and projects.
1: I wish people could see your video right now because your giddy smile as you yeah. just said all of that like has me so hyped up right now. Like I can't stop smiling. It's like give give it to me now. I need it. Yeah, yeah. It always makes me super happy whenever an animated related topic comes up on the headline for multiverse news. I'm like yay representation. <laughs> 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 it's a very div- diverse group there, and those episodes are always great to listen to every week. But that sometimes like the animation stuff comes up and I was like, Oh, thank God. You there. <laughs> yeah. and,
0: and it's funny. It's really digging. Yeah, it. And it's funny because by extension, like there's even outside of animation, there's a couple of properties that are like near and dear to me. Like Tron, they've been, there's this, mm-hmm. uh, Tron Aries is coming out and I wasn't there one week and they just like glossed over Tron. And I was like, no, give Tron. <laughs> its, it's justice. But anyway,
1: I'll never skip again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, sticking with the Netflix realm of things, Castlevania, one of the oldest and most beloved video game franchises of the past 36 years, received a new lease on life in 2017 when its first anime adaption arrived on Netflix. In four years, across four seasons and 32 episodes, the Netflix series introduced millions of new fans to the franchise. Inspired by the colorful stories and characters of the video game, the legacy of Castlevania anime will continue with Castlevania Nocturne, which is coming to Netflix in September 2023.
0: Very nice. Yeah.
1: Have you got to catch any of that? I have
0: seen the first season, but nothing beyond that. And I know it's like one of my big sins. It's just tough with Netflix sometimes (laughs) because it's the streaming service that I least often subscribe to and pay for. I know it's got an extensive catalog and a lot of animation that I need to go check out. But I know people are really excited for Castlevania. I I do recall, I think the first season was a little bit of a slow burn for me, but just the way like everybody Mm -hmm. loves uh, this show. I have no doubt that uh, if I go back and commit to it, that I'll, I'll be on board as well. So I, I, much like you said with the last story, just knowing that you're this excited for this one excites me.
1: Yeah. Um, For the fans that have been like, curious about castlevania and haven't dove into it yet i will say each season is very consistent and that like it should be a movie more than a season Mm. because they have like a heavy first episode that kind of sets the foundation and then it's episodes that are just kind of like the journey that builds up to the final conclusion and then the conclusion is just like phenomenal non-stop action Mm -hmm. So it is really entertaining and it's a great series that's very well animated and can get very gory at times. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it is like, it starts you up high and then you're just sitting very low for a while in terms of just like constant dialogue and building. And it's like, all right, can we get to the point? Can we mix in some action here? Mm -hmm. And it ends up strong. So it's like, sometimes I feel like it could be a better movie format, Hmm. uh, definitely a better binge format instead of having to wait every week. But Netflix is more binge heavy anyways. Uh, So I will give everybody that disclaimer. Um, They've been very consistent, but they are, it's a very good show with awesome. They wrapped it up in season four where it's like, we don't have to keep going, but we, the option was there. So it was cool that they took that option. I'm curious to see what additional stories they have.
0: Yeah. Sounds good.
1: All right, and lastly, we've been covering little snippets of this, but we finally have a release date that the new Naruto episodes are coming on September 3rd as part of a special anime project. They haven't said too much about it. They're being very secret with it, but it's the 20th year anniversary. There's a lot of cool projects that they've been doing. Everything's been wonderful so far. Very excited for the video game, Ultimate Ninja Storm, towards the end of the year. Uh, But for this one, it's, it's four episodes... I think they're going to be like spread throughout the timeline. Like it's not like one set area that's going to have like follow ups to it. Hmm. And there was a lot of speculations. Like, are they reanimating it because the wrote to Naruto special that they did was basically like the key scenes from beginning to end, in a nine minute music video that was like reanimated on the coolest parts. Yeah, I remember when you shared but that it seems with like us. They actually are going to be. I remember great. when you
0: shared that with us. Did you get a chance oh, yeah, to watch yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it was great? great? Yeah. <laughs> beautiful looking
1: yeah so i weren't sure if they were just going to be like taking pieces expanding especially with like the promotional art that came uh-huh. out so I'm, I'm curious to see like what this actually is and as of right now like it's just a little over a month more that we have to wait so uh hopefully they tell me a little more just because i'm really curious and naruto is one of my favorite things ever so like my whole desk is just akatsuki themed um so hoping that we get that soon if not then i'll just wait a month Uh, They also had uh, one of the music videos where they reanimated it, but it was like clips from the manga that they had animated. Hmm. So it was like black and white on top of colorful backdrops. And like they showed like motion in the manga and stuff. So that was really cool. Hmm. They are reanimating one of the first theme songs in this new style, um, which I'm very excited for. So it's it's just a bunch of fun projects. And I like that the original creator is just, having fun with it at this point because you really can't go backwards like anything that they've done the the new manga that he did that was like just one a one-off 55 episodes uh, 55 pages excuse me uh came out a couple of weeks ago finally got around to reading it it was so beautiful so they can do no wrong and i'm just excited
0: yeah i don't know if i can contribute anything of real value but uh, again i'm excited that you're excited and uh, definitely sounds like it's I'm just happy you watched that video. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's gonna be a celebration of the series. Like um even you know, being as uh as much as a knave when it comes to Naruto as I am. And Naruto rather, uh as I am. I have seen a handful of episodes and I'm somewhat familiar with some of the characters and whatnot, and uh just kind of engaged with the the dialogue and uh my impression is that Boruto has not been as well received as as some other iterations, so it kind of sounds like it'd be nice to look back on the more beloved entries. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's had its highlights, yeah. And I think because it was received that way, the original creator actually came back, uh-huh. and they ended up doing a time skip, and now the stories actually jumped back up. Oh, okay. so fans are starting to get sold into it. Nice. So, but. Um, one of my friends who absolutely loves it, he actually never watched the series. He played the video games and got the story off of that. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Um, so if you're ever looking for a new game to play, maybe that's a eh, good way to get sure. into it. Sure.
0: <laughs> All right. So that takes care of the news portion of the episode. Let's talk some feedback. Yeah. So we got a five star
1: review from rail. Dave. Love you rail. Dave. Thank you. First, let me say how much I love Animation Deliberation. The hosts really delve with much depth into each series or movie they cover. But while they've mentioned Black Clover in the past, they never dedicated an episode to Black Clover, one of my favorite anime series. I love the intro and outro songs that change with each season. So I'm thoroughly enjoying this episode, Although I wish they would delve into each season in depth like they've done with other anime series. I'm looking forward to the movie on Netflix. As a point of note, I prefer to watch any anime series, including Dragon Ball, in the original Japanese language with subtitles. I like to hear the original voice actors and actresses. Also with Dubbed, I find that many times they don't translate, but actually rewrite the lines of each character. Hope this podcast go on forever. Stay whelmed. Love this 3000. All right. Yeah, that's some great feedback. And um, with another feedback that we're going to get to there has been like content overload lately so i think we are going to be trying to get in um some just like seasonal coverage of the shows that we haven't been able to give like weekly love to right and with black clover coming back next year that's going to be a good time to you know re-watch the seasons or you know maybe talk about the arcs and stuff before that one comes out so there's a lot of good stuff to talk about we're trying to make the time for as much as we can but you know We're just happy that you're listening and enjoying and keeping up with us. So thanks so much, rail Dave. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely appreciate the five-star review. Um, At the end of the day, I think it's fair to say we're going to watch what we want to watch, but in terms of what we cover on the podcast and how we approach it, getting feedback like this is super helpful. So be like rail Dave. If there's something you're super excited about, or you're happy that we're covering or want us to cover uh, sending feedback like this is the best way to do it. So you can, Leave us a review on any podcatcher or write in at animation deliberation at gmail.com Like these yeah, and you following and I people were... did.
1: Yeah. Uh, you and I were joking on text the other day. Where you were like, yeah, Harley Quinn dropped, and I was like, crap, I haven't seen the Valentine's episode <laughs> yeah, yet. Bro. You were like, you gotta keep up, and I was like, bro, I'm watching four new anime a week. Like, clearly, you're doing a better job at covering the American stuff, and I'm doing yeah. a better job at covering the, the Japanese stuff. Right, up. right. But we're definitely covering a lot of stuff, and we definitely really want to talk about mm-hmm, it. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, moving on from a five-star review, we have a piece of feedback that was written into us from Axel Ellis, whose name uh, I don't recognize. I think he's a first-time contributor as far as I know. It's a dope Yeah, it is. It's got a lot of power to it. Axel Ellis. But uh, anyway, they say, I enjoyed your recap and discussion of Adam Eve. For the fight scene at the oh. beginning, I think it was a diversion by Brandyworth so he could get Sam's mother out of the facility. I could be wrong though, but I thought it was a passing remark from the doctor after he promised to give Sam a normal life.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: interesting. I thought it was just a coincidence that she went into delivery like while that league was infiltrating the the area, but that's that's a cool perspective I like that
0: yeah I and I think I agree with axel in retrospect I think it makes a lot more sense especially with like the protectiveness and affection that Brandyworth showed sam mm-hmm. like throughout her life um, because if yeah it'd be one thing if he just like took the opportunity to rescue her and save her and try to save her mother but um, if he orchestrated I think it would just hit home and, and make a lot more sense and just be a lot more cohesive. So even if that's not the case, I kind of like, I'll take that as my headcanon. And, uh, I, I more than likely will rewatch this episode as, uh, as we get closer to invincible. And, uh, I'm, I'm still strongly considering rewatching season one just because it was that good. So, Yeah. yeah. Thank you for writing in Axel and for your interpretation. I dig it.
1: Yeah, we hope to hear from you more when um, we talk about Invincible Season Mm -hmm. 2. All right, so we got a double feature from TJ Stafford.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: First one. I need to take a swig of my liquid IV before I do this one. Good man, good man. (laughs) I've come to the conclusion that Superman as a character works better on TV than film. All of my favorite portrayals of Superman all have one thing in common that most of the major films lack clark kent is every bit as important as superman i don't hate the snyderverse as much as so many do but i can't deny that clark kent was barely in those films you can get away with that more you can get away with that more with batman stories i think but if you're a superman but if your superman story gives us an interesting and lovable clark the story already has a significant head start so far my adventures of superman is doing this very well so far, and I couldn't be happier. Jack Quaid is wonderful. You guys talked about the possibility of watching Superman and Lois, and I would highly recommend it. I have been a loud advocate for the show pretty much since the first episode. Tyler Hoechlin is arguably my favorite live-action Clark Kent and Superman. I agree with that from the Supergirl appearances. Mm. The show is still a CW show, so some of the teen drama with the younger characters can be a little bit annoying. But where the show really shines is the interpersonal relationships among the characters, primarily the titular couple. The superhero aspect is generally well done, although there are one or two minor missteps. Overall, it's a fantastic show, and I encourage anyone and everyone to give it a few. Sorry for the long message. I'm very much a Superman guy, so I have a lot of thoughts. Enjoy the rest of the show. Your messages are never too long. Ago,
0: <laughs> yeah, especially when you're making such uh, great points. Well read what you got to to say all day but uh no I appreciate the resounding recommendation for Superman and Lois or is it Superman and Lois or Lois and Superman Superman and Lois but yeah um I have not watched that series I did see Tyler Hecklin pop up on the few episodes of Supergirl when I was still sticking with that show but uh he's amazing yeah <laughs> I just talking about my adventures with Superman I kind of uh, addressed at the beginning of the episode with some of the coverage we were doing but we are still covering that show we just kind of made a decision to do it in batches of three um it's a super super enjoyable show with a lot of heart and some of my favorite interpretations of these characters but uh, i just don't know if i have as much to say like week to week so i think it makes more sense for us to do oh, them and in-
1: this week's episode made me want to talk yeah 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 yeah
0: <laughs> uh yeah, but if you're not watching My Adventures of Superman and you are a fan of any superhero content, like this is one of the best shows out there and it's it's fun for the whole family. It's like it's safe for kids, yeah. but it's also um highly entertaining and and done to a quality where uh it it works it works for everybody and um yeah, yeah, I'm super exci- excited for the show and uh agree that Jack Quaid is absolutely killing it as both superman and clark kent and i love both of them and
1: i also think that Zack snyder agrees with all of your points because in the extended version of batman v superman what did we get more clark kent being a reporter yeah there was more of him traveling to gotham and catching stories and trying to fight for them and that i mean yes the snyder versus i think um hated on a little more than it should like of course it has the problems and stuff but um, I do agree that, um, is it Tyler Hecklin,
0: yeah. Hawklin or Hecklin? Hecklin, Hawklin. I say, I say Hecklin. But...
1: Uh, he does a fantastic job. I have been meaning to watch the show, but just with his appearance on Supergirl has been great. And, uh, the show was just an amazing feel-good show with such great storytelling. And my adventure with Superman has definitely been a hit for me.
0: Very good, very good. All right, and TV, yeah. TJ's second piece of feedback is, Hey guys, it's been a while. I really enjoyed your coverage of Demon Slayer and I'm curious how you guys are going, excuse me, how you guys are doing with the flood of new animation this week. You have season two of Jujutsu Kaisen plus the first episodes of my adventures with Superman and the Rurouni Kenshin reboot. All of it was very good. So I hope you have time, the time and energy to cover it all. Can't hear, can't wait to hear what you have to say about everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All of those, Heavenly Delusion and Bleach Thousand Year Blood War are the three things that I watch the day that it comes out. I'm glad that Secret Invasion is over just because that's one less thing I have to keep <laughs> up with on a weekly basis. And this weekend I need to catch up with Futurama so I can watch that on a weekly. Basis. Oh yeah, but it's it's a lot of content. As fans of animated content, we're sitting and enjoying every second of yeah. it. As podcasters, we're like scrambling to figure out yeah. when our schedules line right. up um plan on have so Jujutsu guys and we're doing just kind of even if it's just like me for a couple of minutes we're just doing the weekly coverage of the Jujutsu guys and episodes as they drop my adventures with superman as mentioned we're doing in like three episode batches the finale is probably going to be like a season review as mm-hmm. well Roroni kenshin we're going to have a super fan come on after the season is over to just talk about the whole season as mm-hmm. a whole and one that you didn't mention that we're going to talk about, uh, Haley Hobbs from Source Pages is going to come on so that we can talk Rebels. We're just going to do key stories. It's going to be like if you don't have time for a rewatch, basically it's Bingers Assembles and Sparks' um, mo yeah. of if you're not interested in watching Rebels but want to know some of the storylines or if you don't have time for a rewatch, we're basically just going to talk about those and prep you for Rebels season five, aka Ahsoka. So lots of stuff. Got a plan. So we're we're gonna get it. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. get it, and we're enjoying every bit this of it. This was a
0: pretty fitting final piece of feedback for this episode because uh, the beginning of this episode speaks to exactly this. We're strategizing. We're gonna experiment. We're gonna try new things because, yeah, I, I did a whole episode just trying to catch up on uh, giving my instant reactions to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Uh, the new episode of Futurama's new season on Hulu plus on max, we got the first three episodes of Harley Quinn season four. So uh, we're going to find a way to cover it all. If we have to, you know, divvy up responsibilities and like for me, for instance, with Jujutsu Kaisen, like I kind of had to make the decision that I'm going to wait for the season to come out and then be able to speak to the season as a whole, rather than uh, do it every single week. So uh, we are willing and able and we're going to find a way to bring you our thoughts and uh, insights to all these fantastic animated series. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for writing in and thank you for supporting us.
1: If you do have time for a little binge, the first 5 episodes of Jujutsu Kaisen are 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 all their own like a little thing. Right. And then it picks up to a whole other arc. So, okay. if you want to do something, episode 5 drops this week okay and you can, you can get a little binge in okay if you
0: want all to. right duly noted duly noted <laughs> okay i think uh that's gonna wrap it up for this episode anything you want to let the people know about zuhair uh last week i got to join
1: this basically like round table of commanders fans on the commanders Declassified podcast it is Training camp season right now, preseason around the corner, football season is back, therefore I will not be doing anything on Sundays. So check that show out for that episode, the training camp extravaganza. 323 with Reed three. Murphy will be back and active with the Sunday night hangovers. And on top of that, just make sure you check out all of our social medias. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, we love all the people who are sending us DMs and random reels throughout the days, things to put on our stories, so if there's a story that we missed and you want to get in touch with us, that's the way to do so.
0: Very good. As for me, I'm just going to plug the stranded Panda network. Uh, if you like this show, check out strandedpanda.com and the stranded Panda chat on Facebook for all of the wonderful shows and content and discussions that go on there. Um, as well as the one that I frequent the most. In addition to this show is multiverse news. It's still the newest show on the network and still growing, but it's been a lot of fun to participate in that. So Uh, Once again, thanks for all the listenership and support and keep tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N.
1: And as always, stay wound.